Have you noticed changes in intimacy with your partner after experiencing pregnancy or infant loss? My guest today is conducting a study called ALLO. ALLO stands for Acknowledging Loss, Outcomes, and Experiences. So stay with me as we talk about sex after loss in the next half hour. Welcome to the Pause to Remember podcast. My name is Amy Pelkey. I'm a practicing CRNA yoga teacher and mother to one son here on earth and one daughter who was stillborn. If you are a healthcare provider who has experienced pregnancy or infant loss, this podcast is for you. My goal is to offer resources, conversations, and mindfulness-based grief tools to help providers like you build the courage to acknowledge and process your emotions, the strength to carry your grief, and resilience so you can preserve your career, relationships, and overall well-being while honoring the memory of your baby. I want to assure you that you are not alone in your grief. I am thankful that you are here today. Let's begin. Hello, I am so thankful that you're joining me today to listen to this podcast. I have a really special guest. His name is David Alsop. He earned his master's degree in marriage, family, and human development back in 2020 at Brigham Young University. And he is currently a PhD student within the Department of Psychology and Neurosciences at Dalhousie University. He is a certified family life educator and certified nonprofit professional. His primary research focus is healthy sexual relationships in long-term committed relationships over the life course, primarily in terms of how couples have healthy and satisfying sexual relationships during times of heightened stress, such as transition to parenthood, pregnancy, infertility, and pregnancy loss. He currently lives in Nova Scotia, Canada with his wonderful wife and two terrific kids. Welcome, David. I'm so glad that you are here today. Yeah, wonderful to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So do you want to just start giving us some background information, how you became curious in this topic and your educational and professional journey here? Yeah. So for me, my interest in couples and sexual relationships started back Um, when I was doing my undergrad and working on a degree in uh, family life. And I began to notice and became interested in how to promote couples in their sexual relationships. Growing up, there wasn't a lot of, I wasn't exposed to very much research on this topic. And so I became interested in and seeing how I could uh, promote it. But as I got into it, uh, I realized that there are quite a few uh, circumstances in life that we face that are can be challenging for a variety of reasons. And some of those experiences, they could be ones that occur pretty uh, normally and happen to uh, a majority of people throughout their lives. And some of them are unexpected, unexpected ones like pregnancy loss. And so I was, as I got into it, I became really interested in knowing how to uh, support couples uh, during this time. And so as I began and started going through the research in different topics. I did some work investigating pregnancy. I did some work investigating infertility. And then I began and wondered, well, what about pregnancy loss? How much research is out there? What's out there? And it turned out that there were only 
three studies on this topic that have ever been done, which in the research world is basically nothing. And so I realized that there was a large need for research in this area and wanted to delve into it and see if we could get some research that could be helpful and supportive for couples. Interesting. So did you go up to Nova Scotia to study particularly with in the department that you're in now, or are you from there? How did you end up in Nova Scotia? So I am actually from Utah in the United States originally. I never dreamed of moving to Nova Scotia growing up or going to study there. The main reason that I wanted to go there is to work with my current mentor, Natalie Rosen, who's an expert in lots of areas related to sexuality and couple sexual relationships, and particularly among some of these areas that I'm interested in during some of these stressful times in life. And so it was an honor to be able to work with her. And I mean, it's been the experience of being working in her lab and seeing the things that she does. It really helped me and guided me along my path to researching this topic as well. Yes, I was reading a little bit in preparation for the podcast about her work, and I really appreciated the fact that she still maintains a clinical practice. So not only is she studying it, but she's applying it in real time to people going through the experience. So I think that that is something that not always is done, and I really appreciated about her work. Are you in the process of hoping to counsel people? long-term or focus on the research aspect of this? Yeah, so my aim is to focus more on the research aspect as well as an an educational approach as well. Um, I'm not a therapist. I'm not getting a, a clinical degree. So my focus is really on trying to do things a little more perhaps upstream in terms of education, in terms of outreach in that way, both like through potential like formal education through like apps or classes, but also through uh, articles and, and blog posts and, and stuff such as this, like being on a, a podcast and trying to educate couples this way. Um, so I, I really admire uh, the work that clinicians do. For me, it, it's, a, it's a different focus. Well, I really admire people like you who identify areas that need to be researched and are dedicated to finding some answers to guide clinicians, families, and individuals. I believe your research will definitely have a a ripple effect in a positive way. I think pregnancy or infant loss along with infertility can put a big strain on any individual or their relationship with their partner and their family. Do you want to talk a little bit about why we should care about sex after a loss? And maybe we can talk about this from an individual perspective, as well as a more macroscopic view of how it might impact the community as an employer um, focus in terms of why this is important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we know from research that having a good relationship with your partner It's related to some important things like one's own mental health, for instance, how happy one is. And so we want to do things to preserve relationships. Uh, I wonder, have you ever heard of uh, Samantha Joel? Uh, She's a researcher from Western University in Ontario. I don't know if you've ever Mm, heard of her. Okay, so she did a pretty interesting study a couple of years ago where she asked uh, what predicts 
having a satisfying and committed relationship, which I think I, I, I've wondered this and I imagine people in their everyday lives wonder about this too. And so she combined data from 43 different studies and from like a huge sample of about 11,000 couples and looked at these different 61 predictors of relationship satisfaction and commitment. And one of the top six predictors was sexual satisfaction and having a good sexual relationship. And so among all these different things that she looked at, things like um, mood, things like um, stress, income, gender, religiosity, and a lot of other factors, uh, sexual satisfaction was one of these key predictors. And so when we think about in terms of uh, pregnancy loss and the time following that, we want to make sure that sexual relationships aren't something that go by uh, the wayside that couples don't attend to. And now I'm not saying that the first thing that couples should do after a pregnancy loss is rush back to having sex, right? right. And focusing on their sexual relationship. But it's just important to be aware of it because that'll help their relationship, which will help their health and their well-being and their, and their happiness. Sure. And, and not only short-term, but long-term. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I recognize that when you are researching a topic, sometimes you find other pieces of information that are interesting along the way. Have you seen anything about the economic impact of pregnancy or infant loss that would make a community or employer want to invest time or resources in supporting that couple going through pregnancy or infant loss? You know, I haven't seen any information on that or come across that. That would be interesting to think about and consider. Um, I can think about a different area that we're looking at right now that may have kind of some similar thoughts. So for instance, we've done some work among couples who are undergoing medically assisted reproduction. And we found that the financial burden that couples have that it affects their quality of life, and that in turn affects a variety of areas in their sexual relationship. And so I would imagine that it would be a similar experience for couples after they have a pregnancy loss, and whether it be like unexpected medical bills, or depending if they're further along and, and potentially even need to do costs for uh, a burial or cremation or, or some sort of uh, way um some sort of religious service or, or any any sort of experience like that to finance that uh, i would imagine it would be similar and um, we definitely know that financial variables do affect the sexual relationship there's a growing body of research on that so i think from a, a healthcare perspective i think there would be um, some financial costs that could be considered but i don't have any concrete research or data on it yeah, and I haven't seen, I've, I've looked a little bit for it and I just didn't know in your travel, sometimes when you're researching something, other things pop up and I was just curious more if you had seen anything. I think the the one thing that I can think of is the importance of when an employer is picking a health care um, insurance policy, that mm-hmm. reproductive benefits are part of that policy. And if you do start looking at the literature, there's a higher incidence of pregnancy and infant loss in healthcare providers. Um, mm-hmm. For example, um, in JAMA in 2021, there was a study out of Brigham and Women's that looked um, at um, some of the physician loss, and they noticed that 42% of general surgeons in their study had experienced a pregnancy and infant loss. I mean, that's 
really high. Mm -hmm. So that's pretty scary when you start thinking about how many more providers may be affected by this than the general population. Yeah, that's really interesting. I had not heard that um, statistic or come across that the general one that I've seen is about 25% of women will have a loss at some point in their lives. Um, another thought along with that too, um, there we know that with sexual relationships, they're a pretty big predictor of, of mental health outcomes too. And mental health outcomes are related to how well you do um, at work. And in general, I mean, how like the life quality that individuals have. And so while uh, like the ultimate goal isn't necessarily to have like a more productive workforce, although that is like a goal of employers, uh, but also like a, a happier workforce too. And so um, I think that could be definitely an incentive and part of that to consider sexual health in general, as well as uh, pregnancy loss too. So kind of shifting here, why do you think there's been so little research specifically on intimacy after pregnancy or infant loss? Mm -hmm. So one thought about it is that the field of couples and sexual relationships is actually a, a pretty new one when we're thinking about um, psychology in general. Uh, for instance, it's only in the past few decades that really couples and sexual relationships has been a, a focus, um, although certainly it's been something, a process that uh, we've been interested for thousands of years. Um, but it's only been really a focus in the past few decades. But I think when you take that and you take the thought that there's, um, it's not commonly discussed, it's uncommon for individuals to discuss a pregnancy loss as something that's very private, something that's not often shared. And so, um, Things that aren't often talked about, uh, like in public, don't often get talked about more so in the research world as well. Um, I can relate with this. Um, so a few uh, months ago, uh, my wife and I, we've been trying uh, for a baby. And I can remember uh, my wife came up to me one day and she told me, David, we're pregnant. And I was excited, overjoyed. Um, really looking forward to welcoming another kid into our, our family. And then I can remember, um, you know, thinking and planning ahead what this experience would be like, what it'd be like to have another kid. And then a few weeks later, um, my wife came, comes up to me again and says, David, I had a miscarriage. And I can remember at that time, you know, I was, I was like devastated uh, thinking about, all those hopes and dreams that I had for this experience would it be like, and I didn't want to, I didn't want to talk to anybody. I didn't want to work. I didn't want to talk to um, like people around me. And so it was difficult. And so I can relate with this idea of having it be like a private experience that we don't want to share. And I'm not saying everybody should go on a podcast and share their story. Um, but I do think that it's helpful to consider maybe branching out in terms of who we talk to, sharing it with close family and close friends. And that can be a, a healing experience too, because if we talk and share, we'll find that there are others who've have experienced um, pregnancy loss and can potentially support us too. So yeah, those two reasons, um, it's just not talked about very often and, and the study of sexuality in couples is, is pretty new in general. 
Well, first I want to say I'm so sorry for your loss and I can appreciate some of those feelings and I'm sorry that you know them. Yeah, thank you. And secondly, I just want to say thank you for identifying this gap in the research and taking steps to better help and support others who are going through this. And I think every time we have a conversation about loss, we are normalizing or working towards normalizing that conversation. And I've had guests on the podcast who are healthcare providers who've experienced loss. And my goal is to continue to normalize those conversations in hopes that the more it's talked about, the more others will feel comfortable sharing because I do think it's for some can be a part of their their journey through the grief. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that's that's part of what we want to accomplish with the research that we're doing. Um, in fact, the so the acronym for our study is, is um, it's ALO, but the, what that stands for is Acknowledging Lost Outcomes and Experiences. Because first of all, we just, we just want to acknowledge that they happen, that they're, they're, they're difficult. And, and like you said, that that can be a healing process, even just to know that, hey, like this is a, uh, this is a common experience and we're not alone in having it. Absolutely. You touched upon the study. Do you want to kind of elaborate on that and um, talk about who can participate, how they can get involved, and and kind of what you're hoping to learn from it? Yeah. So the study is open to any couples who have experienced a pregnancy loss within the past four months from when they first contact us. And couples, um, they also it's important, and this is an exclusion criteria, is that they cannot have been undergoing medically-assisted reproduction or fertility treatment when they join the study. And the reason for that is because uh, medically-assisted reproduction, it also is difficult for couples in terms of their sexual relationships in a unique way. And so we want to really tailor in and and hone in on uh, pregnancy loss experiences so that we can better provide recommendations around that. So a pregnancy loss in the past four months is the main thing uh, from when they first contact us. And then what the study looks like is each partner completes an online survey. It takes about 30 to 45 minutes, once a month for four months. And each member of the couple receives a compensation, which increases over time the longer that they participate. Some of the questions that we're really interested in looking at are, first of all, how do the sexual relationships of those who have had a pregnancy loss, how do those compare to those who have not? And so some of the work that we're doing right now is looking and comparing uh, some of these sexual outcomes, such as how satisfied couples are with their relationship, their levels of desire, um, how distressed they are, how well they function sexually, how often they have sex, comparing these to really see, okay, well, perhaps in some areas uh, they may be experiencing poor sexual relationships, but maybe in some areas they aren't. But we don't really know that because no one's really done that in the past. And so just kind of get a basic understanding of where couples um, may be most at risk uh, after a pregnancy loss. Other things that we want to look into are the associations between grief and sexual well-being after a loss. Uh, Couples, you know, they grieve following their loss. And their grief, according to some work by some therapists, it can get wrapped up in sexual relationships 
and it can be hard to tease apart uh, mentally uh, the, the two, which can negatively affect a uh, couple's sexual well-being. So that's an important one to look at. And then what we want to do with the data that we're collecting at each time point is look at how does uh, sexual well-being change over time following a loss? For instance, um, so it's a, about a four-month time frame. So from about, say, four to, to uh, seven months um, post-loss, how does sexual well-being change? Does it tend to um, increase? Are the couples recovering well? Are they recovering well in some aspects, but not others? And it's kind of what is like the normal uh, trajectory, or the, I shouldn't say the normal, the overall trajectory uh, that couples have and how might it differ a little bit. And also, how does grief change in that time frame and how does that affect people's sexual well-being? Um, others, we have a whole host of others, uh, but those are a few of the, the main ones that we want to look at and uh, trying to understand couples' experiences with their losses to be able to better support them, be able to guide clinicians um, in their work, uh, and in general, try and normalize this topic. I think it is normal for your obstetrician or midwife to check in with you and offer mental health referrals after loss, but I don't personally remember them asking about the impact on our sexual health post-loss. Maybe with some more awareness, intimacy can be added to the list of things that are addressed in a follow-up appointment after loss. Mm -hmm. Yes, definitely. And, and something that we've considered uh, is doing some work, um, some knowledge translation work, so it's, for instance, providing uh, brochures that doctors could print and hand out um, to clients, and that may be helpful to kind of understanding their experiences, uh, as well as uh, doing some write-up of the results that we find that could be more digestible too. And so, yeah, absolutely being able to uh, change uh, how doctors uh, communicate to midwives and other health professionals, how they communicate with their clients and bringing it up, first of all, just so it's on the radar would be a, a huge step forward. Definitely, definitely. Talking about it, like we mentioned earlier, you know, just starting that conversation. Do you want to talk about some suggestions you have for couples after loss? One of the key suggestions for couples to remember is that they're not alone when they've experienced a loss. And about 25% of women at some point in their lives experience a pregnancy loss, which is so common. And so couples can remember that they can reach out to those around them, um, both in person and friends, family, and in a virtual space as well. Uh, there are many online support groups for couples where they can be able to talk with others and be able to receive support. And I would add to this as well that uh, clinicians and medical providers are don't have to be alone as well, and that they can collaborate and share uh, their experiences that they've had with clients. Or if they've had a loss, for instance, you mentioned earlier, I think you said about forty percent of yes, in the JAMA study I had referenced, it was forty-two percent of female surgeons had a pregnancy loss when they reviewed their survey findings. And from other literature that I've started to read, the incidence of loss and infertility is actually higher in healthcare providers in general. So I think this is an indication that there is a need to support these grieving providers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. 
And so being able to find ways to turn to those around us who've experienced it and both as um, those in leadership positions and organizations can acknowledge it and, and see if there's ways to provide and support students, our workforce in terms of their losses is important. What do you recommend for people who are having intimacy struggles in their relationship? I would think in some areas, it might be difficult to find somebody who specializes in sexual health. It can be difficult at times to find a therapist who does focus on sex. Just being aware that they can bring it up with a therapist in general, even if it's not the, the therapist's specialty. And so a couple may not be aware that they should bring it up and talk about it with their therapist, even if um, they may be talking about more general emotional uh, difficulties or grief, that they can still bring up their sexual relationship in that context and potentially explore it uh, with their partner, how they can resolve and work through some of the difficulties that they may be facing. When you look at sexual health in people who are not in stressful situations compared to sexual health in people who are experiencing a stressor like pregnancy and infant loss, can you compare the um, differences between how men and women perceive or experience their sexual intimacy? Yeah. So looking at the differences between men and women and understanding them is still something that we're doing in our research and trying to understand better. There's not much work that has explored that. Obviously, through a variety of different research on different areas, we do know that there are some differences between men and women um, in, in general on a variety of sexual aspects. Um, however, in terms of specific ones for pregnancy loss, uh, there aren't many that I know of or that, that we could speak to right now. And as well, an area that we want to consider in is differences in terms of grieving and expressing emotion after a loss and how that might affect things. But I, I don't know that I have any specifics to to give. I wish I did. And hopefully we'll, we'll have some. That's okay. It's just a curiosity question and, and trying to figure out what you've seen so far. I know you are trying to get 150 couples and I'm not sure where you're at in your numbers. So I was just curious to see if you were noticing any trends at this point. Yeah, I I can speak to one trend, though, that we have observed in our data. So we found that the mothers who were pregnant during a loss compared to their partners, that they had lower levels of sexual desire than their partners after a loss. And so, and importantly, um, that difference. So there's a lot of research on differences between men and women, between mothers and partners in terms of their levels of desire. and so. One important note with that is that difference between mothers and their partners who have a loss, that difference was, it was larger than the difference in the community sample between partners. So it wasn't just like, oh, well, like there's always differences between um, men and women or mothers and partners. It was, it was a difference that was specific to, to pregnancy loss. Interesting. Well, I think that some of your suggestions talking about it, grief support groups, getting some counseling, um, asking for help in your sexual health with somebody who specializes in that, and then continuing this research moving forward to see what you discover and then sharing that for providers and people going through loss are all just part of kind of like a multimodal approach to addressing this topic. 
Is there anything else in terms of thoughts that you have on this topic or suggestions that you have as we kind of wrap things up that you would like to share? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think a couple other thoughts come to mind about uh, what, what couples could do during this time and sort of the outlook uh, that they can take. I think it's important to remember um, that grief, it it can be really high after a loss, but grief does tend to decline in general after losses. And so this isn't pregnancy loss specific. We'll have more information on that through our studies, but in general, uh, levels of grief tend to decline over time. That doesn't mean you ever really stop grieving when you have a loss, um, but you can know that things, they, they do tend to get better. That's something that research has indicated as well. You know, during this time frame, couples, you know, they can reach out to their partner and, and be there for them too. You know, a, your partner may be grieving in a different way than you. That's not, really not a surprise. But maybe what asking what they need, trying to provide support, whether that's doing something like together, watching a movie, going out together, staying in or whatever, just spending some time together. Or maybe they need some more like instrumental help, doing some things, providing additional support, chores around the house, taking care of things, giving each other a, a night out, whatever they need to get the support and just trying to bond it and draw it together during this time. And it's a difficult time for couples, but there is um, hope and healing. And hopefully uh, through our research, couples can can get some support. As we finish up here, let's loop back to the ALO study and just highlight again how people can get involved with your work. All couples are invited to take part in our research. The surveys are online and we invite couples if they want to learn and and share their experiences. They're welcome to do that uh, with our team. Many of the couples that have participated in our research have expressed that it's been positive for them, that it's been good for them, and and really felt uh, that what they're sharing is valuable and helping to contribute to a larger body of research. So any couples are welcome. Uh, to participate in that. And we hope that they will give us uh, a chance to to talk them through the surveys that we do online, talking like in a virtual space, just through the data that they share, not talking like face-to-face through interviews, uh, but just give a chance to hopefully better research and understanding in this area. I will put links to the ALO study, including how to enroll your contact information, David, as well as some social media links in the show notes to make it easy for anyone who is here listening to get involved and hopefully find some benefits from working with you and and participating in your research. I really appreciate, David, everything that you are doing and appreciate the time that you took to come onto the podcast and share your work. Yeah, thank you. And, and hopefully, uh, couples that do participate do have that experience and it is a healing experience in some ways for them. It will be really interesting to see David's work unfold and what is discovered about sexual relationships compared to people who have not experienced loss, how grief after a pregnancy loss is connected to sexual relationships, and how sexual relationships change over time after a pregnancy loss. I'm really thankful for people like David who want to research this topic, provide some outreach, and offer some education. Maybe we can even get him to come back and share what he has learned after the results are published. Thanks again for being here. 
I look forward to sharing more with you on the next episode. Are you a healthcare provider grieving after pregnancy or infant loss? Is your grief threatening your career, impacting your relationships, or hurting your well being? Do you ever feel like you are going to continuously feel lost, overwhelmed, or lonely? What if you could start finding comfort with discomfort and gently honoring your feelings? A Mindful Prescription is a four-week course introducing you to meditation, yoga, and other informal mindfulness practices to help you build courage to acknowledge and process your feelings, strength to carry the weight of your grief, and resilience so you can create a new norm after loss. So instead of pasting a smile on your face, muscling your way through your day, or numbing yourself with junk food, alcohol, social media, or a super busy calendar, consider practicing some mindfulness, apply what you learn to your grief, and move through your grief while preserving the memory of your baby. This four-week course can be completed in a group format with other healthcare providers or one-on-one with me, Amy Pelkey, beginning in January, 2023. I am a CRNA, loss mom, and registered yoga teacher. For more information, including dates and times, click the link below for a mindful prescription. I hope to see you in January. Please help healthcare providers find the Pause to Remember community by going to Apple Podcasts to rate and review the Pause to Remember podcast. Sharing these episodes directly with a grieving healthcare provider or posting to your social media will also help spread the word about the resources and offerings being shared within the community. Thank you for your support of the work being done here.